Mark chapter 6. Today we're going to talk about a very foolish leader. We're in verses 14 through 29, and let's begin by reading the passage together. I will put it on the screen for you as we go, but I invite you to use your own copy of God's Word as well. Mark chapter 6, starting with verse 14, reading through verse 29. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. This is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. So last week we looked at verses 7 through 13. That was our passage last Sunday in chapter 6 where Jesus had sent out the 12, if you just glance back at that part of the text, the 12 apostles were sent out to preach, to cast out demons. They were sent out to heal. They went out in the identity and the authority of Christ himself with his message, proclaiming his message that the kingdom had come, and in his authority, being able to do similar things to what they had watched Christ do. And that missional activity, that mission of the 12 guys traveling around from village to village, community to community, city to city, healing people, casting out demons, proclaiming the message of the kingdom has come to the attention of Herod. And that really sets up our passage for this morning. But let's pause here for a minute and ask Who is this King Herod that is mentioned here in this text? 
Who is the King Herod that Mark is talking about? It's not this guy. (laughs) This is not the Herod that is being talked about in Mark chapter 6. It's not Herod the Great, the more well-known King Herod from history. His reign and his life ended shortly after the birth of Jesus in 4 BC. Let's talk about the Herods for just a quick second. Who were the Herods? The Herods were not Jews. The Herods were also not Romans. Herod the Great's father was Idumean, and his mother was Arabian. The Roman Senate had made Herod the Great the king of Judea in 40 BC, and they did grant him that title of king, Herod the Great. But when he did When he died, when he passed away, his kingdom was divided and given to his sons. The Herod that is referenced here in Mark chapter 6 is Herod Antipas. This is one of the sons of Herod the Great. And Herod Antipas ruled over Galilee and Perea, but actually he was not a king at all. And this is really a very important part of the story I think it's in the purple, if I'm seeing those colors accurately. That would be the part of the kingdom that Herod Antipas, who Mark is writing about here in Mark 6, that he ruled over. He was given the title Tetrarch. Tetrarch, in its origin, as far as the origin of the word is concerned, means a ruler of a fourth. He was given a fourth of his father's kingdom when Herod the Great died. But this title, Tetrarch, became to be known as something that had a status that was much lower than a king. And this bothered Herod Antipas to no end, because he was not a king. He was a Tetrarch. His father, Herod the Great, had been granted the title king by Rome, but Herod Antipas had not been given this title. And so we as Bible students might come to Mark chapter 6 then and say, well, why on earth does Mark call him King Herod in chapter 6? And it's not the only time that he does this. A little bit later on in the story, we see it as well. Well, let me save that part of the story for the end of the message this morning. But let's talk a bit more about Herod Antipas, not a king, but a tetrarch. Herod Antipas ruled over the Jewish people seemingly without any respect whatsoever for their beliefs. Now, mind you, he's not a Jew, and again, he's not a Roman, but he's put in leadership over a group of people, and part of his charge is to keep them at peace, to keep them happy, and he has absolutely no respect for their beliefs. Let me just give you one example of this. It's one of the more striking ones from history. And a lot of, I want to say this, a lot of what I'm talking to you about this morning is not only affirmed in Scripture, but also by secular historians. It's actually part of a great apologetic for our faith that a lot of the events of the Bible are backed up by people who were not Christians, but ancient, other ancient historians. But this is one example of how lousy of a leader he was to the Jewish people. He chose an ancient pagan cemetery as the location to build his capital, the city of Tiberias. He built it 
on a pagan cemetery site. Now, why is that such a big deal? It's a big deal because in doing this, he excluded any Jews from living there. The very people in their homeland that he is supposed to, that he's charged to lead, he builds the capital city in a place where they cannot live. Living near the dead in that proximity would have made the people who live there perpetually unclean, according to the Mosaic law. And so Jews wouldn't live there. Herod Antipas wanted to be known and revered as the king of the Jews, but he seemed to have no regard whatsoever for their beliefs. But here's about Jesus. He hears about this rabbi from Nazareth who had been teaching and healing and taking authority over the spiritual realm. And now this rabbi has multiplied himself in that he has sent out his followers to do the same thing. And they're creating quite a stir. And they're having quite a large impact on Herod's territory. And he wonders, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, there were a few theories that were circulating among the people for him to consider. First of all, the first theory, and this is maybe perhaps the most mystical, wacky, superstitious of the beliefs that the people had begun to believe. But some people thought that Jesus was John the Baptist who had returned from the grave. Again, this was a very superstitious belief. It had circulated among the people, uh, people who obviously didn't realize that John the Baptist and Jesus lived for much the same lifespan, that they were both present in many situations and, and lived during the same time period. But this belief thought that John's ghost had returned to haunt his murderer. Who's his murderer? We'll get to that in just a minute. Theory number two that was circulating among the people. Jesus was the Old Testament prophet Elijah, returned from heaven. Now, much more credibility to this. As a matter of fact, let me show you some Old Testament passages that would say that this is actually a a credible theory as far as how people came to believe it. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, Jehovah had said through Malachi, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Who is that messenger? Well, later in Malachi, a little farther in Malachi, in chapter 4, verse 5, Jehovah says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And so some people thought, well, who is Jesus? Oh, I know who he is. Malachi talked about Elijah returning from heaven. And so maybe Jesus is Elijah. The third theory, the one that gets us closest to the truth of who Christ actually is, the third theory that was circulating at this time throughout Galilee was that Jesus was another great prophet. A new one, but one like Isaiah or Jeremiah. And and Moses had prophesied 
about a coming prophet. You see the passage there for you on the screen, Deuteronomy 18.15. Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him that you should listen. Well, this theory by far is the closest to the truth. And Jesus did identify himself as a prophet. And other people saw Jesus as a great prophet. Jesus was a great prophet. But he was also so much more than just a prophet, wasn't he, church? Christ was greater than Moses, greater than Elijah, greater than Isaiah, greater than Jeremiah, because as we know, Jesus was God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. So getting back to the story in the context of what we're studying this morning, though, which theory did Herod believe? Because that's what matters for our story this morning. What did Herod believe about Christ? Well, Mark tells us in verse 16, but when Herod heard of it, again, what's the it about the journey that all the disciples are making, preaching, healing, casting out demons? When Herod heard this news and he begins to ask that question, who is Jesus? Here's what he decides to believe. John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Herod goes with theory number one. Now, as we get to know Herod Antipas, we would expect nothing less than for him to go with the wackiest of the theories. Because this guy really was a fool. Why does he come to this conclusion? Is his conscience telling him that he had done a great evil? Mark next tells us the backstory. He gives us the backstory of why Herod believes that Jesus is John returned from the grave. Mark chapter 6, verse 17 is where we are in the text. For it was Herod who sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. Now, I don't expect you to read all that. <laughs> But just so you can see how messed up this is, Herodias was not only his brother's wife, but if you look at that family tree, she was also his other brother's daughter. He married his niece and his brother's wife. Okay, again, you know, we'll, we'll get there, but not a model for virtue here. Herod Antipas did not have regard for the word of God at all. And John the Baptist, as you know, John the Baptist and what he was like was not afraid to confront him. This is the guy who would stand on the bank of the Jordan River and the Pharisees, the religious elite, would be there and he would start screaming at them, you brood of vipers. Not a great way to make friends, John, right? And so John would confront Herod. Herod had no regard for God's word, and John the Baptist would confront him. He told him that his marriage to Herodias was forbidden by the Mosaic Law. It's a very interesting relationship the two had, though. Herod may not have liked that, being confronted in that manner, but Mark tells us in the text, if you keep reading, that first of all, he feared John. 
He saw that he was a holy and righteous man, and also he seemed to enjoy listening to him speak. I find that very interesting. He, at the same time, feared him. Maybe we could use the word revered him, but he also kind of liked him. He wanted to hear him speak. Well, Herodias, Herod Antipas' wife, has no mixed feelings when it comes to John the Baptist. She knew that she wanted him dead. And so Herod protects John from her, Bible scholars believe, by actually putting him in prison. John, I'm going to keep you safe, but to do it, I have to put you in a prison cell. Otherwise, my wife's going to get you. And so he imprisons John. However, a day comes as we keep reading the story when Herodias has the opportunity to exact revenge on this prophet. And it's here, church, that we begin to see what a foolish leader that Herod Antipas really is. Herod throws a birthday party for himself. We'll start with this. He invites the nobles. He invites the military commanders. He invites all of the leading men of Galilee. This was another departure from the beliefs of the people he governed. The Jewish people at this time did not believe in birthday parties. Now, I hope none of us will be offended, but they believe that birthday parties were pagan celebrations, according to Jewish thinking. And so Herod departs from their beliefs yet again and throws himself this bash. The daughter of Herodias shows up at the party and dances. All I'm going to say about this is there's been much conjecture about this about what type of dance it was, that it was immoral and decadent. I honestly don't even think we need to assume that because that's really not the point of the story. The point of the story is Herod's reaction. Whatever type of dance it was, whatever happened during that when Herodias' daughter came in, it's very possible that Herod next, without Thinking about the consequences, Herod makes a promise to her. And this is what he says. Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Now, everyone in the room, let's make sure we understand this. Everyone in the room would have understood that this was hyperbole. No one there would have thought, oh my goodness, he just gave away half his kingdom. This was a saying. This was something that people would say. It was was an expression. It wasn't to be taken literally. It was a common saying of the time, meaning, hey, I am prepared to reward you generously. Wonderful job on the dance, whatever. And I'm prepared to reward you generously. Well, the girl promptly leaves, finds her mother. This was the opportunity that Herodias had been waiting for. And the girl returns to Herod after talking with her mother and tells Herod what she would like. And we find it in verse 25. I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now, notice 
she says, at once. Maybe you're starting to to catch that word as we work through Mark's text. Mark loves this word, euthus. But Herod says, I want you to give me, or Herodias' daughter says, I want you to give me at once, immediately, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. What's the rush? She wants him to deliver on the promise at once before his guests leave and he can withdraw it. Because as we see, Herod really doesn't want to go through with this. Herod's not happy about what he does next, but he's made an oath in front of the most powerful people in his territory. And so the order is given, and John's life is taken, and the girl's request is granted. Well, that's our story for this morning. It's a cheery one, isn't it? So in... Sometimes I hit passages because my commitment, right, to you guys is we go verse by verse. We work through the text and, you know, don't think that sometimes I, you know, sometimes I'll hit a passage. I'm like, I've got to preach that next week. (laughs) But I started thinking about this passage and knowing that I would have the opportunity, and I do see it as an opportunity, a joyful one, to teach it to you. I started to think about the characters in the story. And I thought, man, there's really kind of a spectrum here, isn't there? There's evil Herodias, and she's unflinching in her desire to have John put to death. There's Herod. He's immoral. He's not real bright, makes bad decisions. And then you have, on the other end of the spectrum, John the Baptist. And then, of course, the ultimate Jesus, right? And I started to think more about the relationship between Herod and John specifically. I think this passage, of course, not Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel, the main character is Jesus Christ, amen? But I think this passage we're looking at today, Mark takes a little diversion, and he tells us the tragic story of Herod Antipas. These verses are really about Herod. This government official, placed in power by Rome, the leader of Galilee, where Jesus had been coming to fame. But what kind of leader was Herod Antipas? As we begin to wrap up, for you to think about what type of leaders we should be expecting in our communities, in our state, and in our nation. What we should hope for, church, and what we should pray for among those who lead us. Let's take a minute and let's just contrast Herod Antipas and John the Baptist. And when I say that, I mean much more than just the exterior, the exterior stuff, right? I mean, let's, talk, let's go beyond, well, Herod had fine food and John ate bugs, right? Let's, let's move past, well, Herod was in a palace and John slept on a, on a riverbank, right? There's, there's so much more to these men than this. I'll start with this idea. Herod had the office of a leader. John was a leader. 
That in itself may describe the difference, but let me break it down farther. Herod did not have integrity. He was a spineless coward. But John couldn't be bought. He was a man with moral courage. Of the two, who would you follow? Herod had no regard for the word of God. But John lived in complete submission to the word of God. Who would you follow, church? Herod was controlled by his flesh. He was immoral. He was decadent. John was led by the Holy Spirit. Who would you follow? Herod had a troubled conscience because of his foolishness, because of bad decisions he had made in the past. John had a clear conscience and a clear sense of direction. He knew who he was and he knew his mission. Church, who would you follow? Herod takes the easy way out rather than standing up for what is right. John spoke the truth, and speaking the truth cost him his life. Who would you follow? Dr. Daniel Aiken writes this about the two men. He says, John was a man of great courage and moral fiber. Herod was not. John loved God and boldly proclaimed his word. Herod did not. John denounced sin and called people to repentance and a radical change in life. Herod, an innocent man, a prophet of God. Again, Herod had a position of authority, but John the Baptist was the leader, the real leader. It's also interesting to me, as I thought more about this throughout the week, to consider what Jesus said about Herod. Now, as, I, as, as we talk about what Jesus thought about Herod's leadership, let me preface it by saying that our Lord really did not comment much on government. And, and this is when Israel was occupied by a foreign invader. You would think that there would be a lot for Jesus to talk about. And he doesn't say much at all about government. Paul is going to have a bit more to say in his letters. And of course, that's just as normative and authoritative for us to follow. But Jesus pretty much told people to pay their taxes. That's about the extent of what he says about government. However, Jesus did say a few things about Herod that give us some indication of what he thought about him. And maybe we can extrapolate then from that what Jesus thinks about bad leaders and bad leadership. It was probably not long after what we're studying here in Mark chapter 6 when some of the Pharisees who were siding with Jesus, remember there were those, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea and probably others, there were Pharisees that backed Christ that saw him as a prophet at the, at the least. But some of the Pharisees who sided with Jesus came to him not long after these events in Mark 6 and warned him that Herod Antipas was trying to kill him. Jesus, just so you know, Herod is after you. Mark doesn't record this for us, but Luke does. He records that scene in his gospel. These Pharisees that urge Jesus to flee 
But notice what Christ says to them, to these well-meaning men who are just trying to save Jesus' life. Christ says, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Jesus is here speaking of the craftiness of Herod. He's calling him a scoundrel. And then after his arrest and before his crucifixion, Herod and Jesus will meet for what we know to be in the Gospels the very first time. We have no record in the four Gospels of these two men, Jesus Christ and Herod Antipas, meeting together until the day before the crucifixion. And Luke tells us that Herod wanted Jesus to do a miracle for him. What a lunatic. Jesus is brought before Herod in a trial, and Herod is supposed to make a decision about him, and he just wants to see a party trick. It was probably in the context of, I'm sure, another celebration that he was having. But Herod asks Christ many questions, and what is Jesus' response? Silence. He won't even dignify this foolish leader with an answer. Jesus is silent before him. I think that Jesus would have included Herod Antipas among the bad shepherds of Israel, those religious and civil leaders who had hurt the flock through the centuries. More on that next week. I'll be hitting that quite a bit harder next Sunday in the message. But Christ had nothing to say to this fool whose days were numbered. Jesus was the only king in the room that day when he met with Herod Antipas. Herod was no king. So the question remains, as we kind of wrap this up then, church, the question remains from verse 14, if you go back and look at verse 14 in Mark chapter 6, why does Mark call him a king? I mean, this is Scripture. Why does Mark, in his gospel, call Herod Antipas a king if he's not really a king? And he wasn't. He was a tetrarch, which is a lower position. And he doesn't do it just once. He doesn't say it just in verse 14. If you track down the chapter, look at verse 26, king. Verse 27, king. Many people, many Bible scholars believe that this may be Mark having some fun that this is sarcasm. Remember who Mark's audience is. Mark is writing to Christians in Rome. Christians in Rome who would have known very well that Herod was not a king. Herod wanted the people of Israel to see him as their Messiah. Herod wanted Rome to give him the title of king like his father had. And he pushed that issue so hard that Rome finally had enough of his whining, and they did away with him. This is historical record, record, mind you. Not, Not only biblical history, but this is secular history. That Rome finally had enough of Herod Antipas. After ruling for 45 years, he was removed as the Tetrarch and exiled by Emperor Caligula in 39 AD, and he died in disgrace in exile. He was a foolish leader. History does not remember him well. 
No one, biblical historians or secular historians, would consider him a good leader. When we go to the Scriptures Church, there are people that are talked about in the Bible that are our examples to follow, people that we try to imitate. There are other people in Scripture that are our examples not to follow, people that we should avoid being like. Herod Antipas would certainly fall into that second category. So as we wrap up this morning, let me just ask this question, and it's for your consideration as we close. What is good leadership? What does it look like in the public sectors, in the private sectors? Now, I could say in the church, too, and and definitely what I'm about to say is true of the church. But we always think of these things that I'm about to say in the context of spiritual leadership. We always think of these things I'm about to say in the context of pastoral leadership. And so I'm going to say this to you, and I'm going to emphasize what does good leadership look like in the public sector, government? What does good leadership look like in the private sector, in business? Whether we're talking about the marketplace or we're talking about government leaders, let me just share with you very quickly my hope. My hope and prayer for our community, for our state and our nation, is that we would be led by people who are truly thankful to God and know that they are dependent on him for their success. That's my hope. It's my prayer for us. My hope, my prayer is that we would be led by people who walk with Christ, who live in submission to the Word of God, and who are led by the Holy Spirit. People who live faithful lives characterized by humility, integrity, and moral courage. People who have a clear conscience, a clear sense of direction, and who speak the truth even when it costs them something. May those be the leaders that rise up. Church, let's pray for men and women with these characteristics to rise up in the public and the private sector. And let's not accept anything else. Let's not accept anything else. We need real leaders now more than ever. Amen? May God give us servant leaders who seek him with all their hearts and desire to be used by him in their positions of influence. One of the best-selling books in business literature is written by Jim Collins. It's called Good to Great. And Jim Collins has sold millions and millions and millions of copies of this book. It's a great book. I've read it twice. But he blatantly stole from the Bible. What bugs me is that Jim Collins, last I checked, was a self-avowed boot. But he got his truth from Scripture. Because here's what he said about the highest level of leadership. He said a true leader is someone who has a deep, sense of humility combined with a complete commitment to the mission. I know where that comes from. Right here. A true leader is someone who has a deep sense of humility. They know it's not about them. 
And they're not in it for the complete commitment to the mission that God has laid before them. Amen, church? Let's pray for leaders like that. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Worship team, come and join me. Let's pray together. Father, this is our, our prayer. And even as we look at this story that Mark sandwiched into chapter 6, he's going to continue next with Jesus. And, and next week we will look at this incredible miracle that Christ performs at that all four, it's the only miracle in Scripture that all four gospel authors include in their gospels. And so Mark is going to go right back to making Jesus the main character of the story, but he takes this segue, this brief excursion, for us to learn something, what a true leader looks like and what a poor leader looks like. So God, I pray, first of all, for any in this room, for anybody here who is in a position of leadership, whether it be in business or in the community, in their job, Lord, I pray that they would take their call seriously, that they would be people of integrity, that they would be thankful to their God who has given them that opportunity, and that they would use their position for your glory to try to accomplish as much good as they can and to give glory to Christ. But Lord, I also pray on a, on a larger level for our country. Lord, I pray for our state. I pray for our community. Lord, that we would see good and godly leadership. And, and Lord, may that even start in the hearts of our young people. Lord, that you would raise many of them up to serve in positions and in roles of influence so that your truth would be spoken in the private sector, so that your truth, God, would be spoken in the public sector. And, and, and may they be people of integrity. May they never do anything that would cause you, Lord, or your church to take a hit, to have a blemish or a, or a black mark in the community. But Lord, we just pray for leaders who will pray and lead in a way that brings honor and glory to Christ. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.